This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room, Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Former Sarasota County Commissioner Christian Ziegler is the new chair of the Florida Republican Party. The 39-year-old has been vice chair of the Florida Republican Party for the last four years. His wife is a Sarasota County School Board member. The Herald Tribune reports Ziegler is also an ardent Trump supporter who attended the rally that preceded the riot at the U.S. Capitol in which he says he didn't participate. He's pledged to remain neutral if both Trump and DeSantis are in the 2024 Republican primary together. Ziegler is taking over a successful state party, which is coming off a victorious 2022 series of midterm elections. Okay, welcome. It's Tuesday, uh, 21 February, year of alert 2023, the afternoon uh, in now evening show. I want to bring in Christian Ziegler. First off, Christian, uh, I don't know what victory is more impressive. I actually think as tough as yours was, I think your wife was actually a tougher, I think that was a tougher <laughs> win. But the Ziegler's, the Ziegler's are on a roll. You're, that is a definition of a power couple. It's that's not people in politics. It's people that win tough elections. I, I don't I don't remember a couple winning uh, tough elections in a long time. But congratulations. No, I appreciate it, Steve. It's a real honor. I mean, we got a great organization. We got a great team here in Florida. Um, we're going to continue to execute and continue to deliver the Sunshine State for whoever our Republican nominee is. So I appreciate the congrats. What what I want to do, and the reason I wanted you on here is we had uh, Christine Caramo on this morning. I mean, obviously, MSNBC is in full meltdown. Two grassroots victories uh, in two of the most important states in, in the union. W- what lessons for the grassroots in the rest of the country can you talk about? And, and particularly how all of Florida, you've, you've kind of not just turned it around. Because it, it, when I first started getting involved in politics, it was beyond a jump ball. I mean, it kind of, you know, people thought that... Uh, you know, the Democrats had a competitive advantage, they had a demographic advantage, and now this is getting to be a bastion, not just of a red state, of a MAGA state. How was that done, and, and what are the lessons for people in, in other states? Well, it's pretty simple, Steve. I mean, we listen to the people, many of the people that watch your show. Um, we activate them, we engage them, um, we hear them. And what that has done is, I'll tell you, I'll give you some stats in Florida. Um, you know, in Florida, when Governor DeSantis took over just four years ago, there were 250,000 more Democrats than Republicans. Today, uh, we have flipped our state for the first time in its history. We have over 400,000 more Republicans than Democrats. That's a 650,000 registration swing in support of Republicans. That's number one. Number two, when you look at election results, for example, Donald Trump in 2016 won by about 1%. We 3X'd his margin in 2020. And then if you look at Governor DeSantis in 2018, he won by 0.4%. And in 2022, he won by 19.4%. So when you listen to the grassroots, you represent, you work for the grassroots. And then when you have leaders, like in Florida, we're fortunate, we have a strong legislature, and we also have a strong governor leading on these issues. Uh, When you mix listening to the grassroots with executing um, while you're in government and while you're in office, it leads to those incredible results. Every state should do it. The thing is that the grassroots and you do the policies that the grassroots are going to support and you're speaking for the people, then it kind of doubles down. It's a virtuous cycle. You get in, you get more recruits, you get people see things happening. Is that basically the lesson? That's exactly right. That's the lesson. Uh, You know, leadership matters, listening to the grassroots, running their agenda matters. Um, But in addition to that, going after these issues, Steve, that a lot of consultants would say, hey, Uh, You don't need to go make the base happy. They're going to vote for you anyway. Go after the independents. Go a little soft. Move to the middle when you're in office. That's the the conventional wisdom from some of these consultants and staffers and bureaucrats, whereas our governor has taken on these culture war issues, right? I mean, we're talking about protecting girls' sports, getting, you know, boys um, out of girls' locker rooms, the, the gender ideology, the CRT in the schools. He's going head on on those issues. And because of that, people... Appreciate it. I'll tell you, when I was at the polls this last election, 
you stand outside these polls, I don't care what county you go to, there were a heck of a lot of people walking in and they told me, I'm here to get the stuff out of our schools, to get this stuff out of our communities. And that's what was driving them to the polls. It wasn't the traditional issues. It was going after these cultural issues because frankly, our families are under attack. And here in Florida, we're not gonna stand for it. Give me, you know, this came up in the controversy of uh, of Rana and everything that's going on with the RNC and the vote of the RNC. And one of the things, you know, and I, I have talked to Rana after this about seeing um, the uh, the event itself out there, watch the entire thing. And I was incredibly disappointed by the um, just by the whole thing, the the election committee, this committee, that committee. It, it didn't sound it didn't come across to me. It's not professionalism, but the toughness that we need in the fight that that's ahead. And it's, it's pretty evident that the state GOP uh, chairman are, are so critical to going forward. What do you see as your role? Walk us through in, in your mind. What, what do you see? Because I, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, Christina Krama is fantastic. We love her. But the business community is not going to support her. She's not going to raise any money. And the GOP chair is their sole responsibility is to raise money from large donors. That they got to go ring the cash register and they ought to be doing it 24 7. What do you, what is your attitude of what do you think the role of a GOP chair is at the state level? Well, look, I think that um, there's a couple of roles. Obviously, you got to fundraise. We got to make sure our counties have the resources, uh, the training uh, to be successful and really hit the ground running. Um, we have to support our elected officials as well. I mean, when they're doing a good job, we need to make sure people know about it. We're all a team here. We got to amplify what they're doing when it's following what, what the grassroots want. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I think my role is I want to listen to the grassroots. I want to work for them. I want to aggressively deliver for them. I should be the most rabid conservative in the room in every, every time I walk in the room. That's how I view myself. That's how I want to execute. Um, I think when you show bold leadership, we've seen our governor do it, people are going to buy in um, and you'll get the money, you'll get the resources, but you definitely have to execute. So we have a legitimate operation. Um, we're going to be doing the get out the vote. We're going to be doing the voter registration. We're going to continue that. Um, but as a leader, I do have to go raise the money, get our counties supported and make sure they have the resources, um, execute for our elected officials when they're doing a good job. Um, but I'm going to be traveling the state. You're going to see me. I mean, I don't, I don't really like cocktail receptions. Um, I mean, I'll go to them if I need to go collect some checks. But outside of that, I want to be on the ground, knocking on the doors, on the corners, with the grassroots. That's just in my blood. And I think it's important to show when you lead from the ground up, people will follow. And uh, there are a lot of people that watch this show that have joined our local county parties that have been told to go join. And I want to represent them and help them understand what the party does and help them be successful. That's what I'm focused on. I want to go back, by the way, we want to have you back on and drill down more of this, particularly as, as a state like Florida and the GOP being a laboratory for ideas, ideas that are That's cutting right. edge ideas, both on economics and governance. But I want to go back and it's two theories here. You mentioned um, the voter registration, the huge swing in that. And people should know voter registration is a grinded out, unsexy business. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned get out the vote, <laughs> which is another grinded out unsexy that's why it's perfect for the grassroots right because the grassroots are grinders and they're not looking for glory they're looking that's for it. victories and and to save the country you know we're very close to mike lindell obviously and everybody's that number one focus is the election issues carrie lake mike lindell the election uh it, it, they would actually say the election crimes division as you see it going forward a lot of people said hey we've missed the plot here and the plot's got to be we got to be in the ballot harvesting business particularly people in pennsylvania and in michigan and in nevada where we had some of these losses Others are saying, no, uh, what we're doing and getting out the vote is the way to do it. Florida looks like it did it the old-fashioned way. Am, am I incorrect? And, and you guys, talk to me about your election and election fraud issues, what you guys have done there. And do you support this whole, this whole we got to be like Democrats and get into the ballot, we got to be in the ballot generation business? Mm -hmm. Or do you believe we can win the old-fashioned way, where some people say, Steve, that's just incredibly naive, and you're not going to win Pennsylvania, you're not going to win Michigan, you're not going to win Nevada if you go down that route. Christian Ziegler. Well, a couple things, Steve. Uh, it's interesting. In I was I went up to Georgia. I recruited about 600, almost 700 people uh, to go knock on doors in Georgia um, in 2021, actually, when Loeffler and Purdue were on the ballot. And I was actually, we were targeting four of four Republicans. And when we would knock on those doors, probably 20% of them would say, you know, I'm not going to vote. What's the point? My vote's not going to count. You know, we had November and they haven't done anything since. And that was really eye-opening to me. And what I've realized is in Florida, we did it different. 
our elected officials actually took proactive action to address election integrity. And they showed that they were listening to the grassroots, they were listening to the concerns, and they addressed issues, ballot harvesting, some of the drop boxes, and they went after it. And what happened is, is that increased confidence in voting in Florida. And I think we saw the results because of that. Now, with that said, um, I'm a big fan of, I mean, I think our elected officials have done a great job so far, um, particularly addressing ballot harvesting in Florida. Um, but with vote by mail, we still have vote by mail that's out there. Um, look, me personally, I'm a fan of, you know, single day voting in person. But until you have the law set that up for everyone, it's up to us to take advantage of whatever the rules are in place, whatever we can legally do to make sure that we're executing and winning. And in Florida, for example, if you wait to just one day and while the Democrats are banking votes, you could have a hurricane come in, you could have a thunderstorm that drops turnout, and then you become reliant on people to turn out that one day. That's very difficult um, if it's not an equal playing field. So I think when as ballots go out, I want to aggressively attack this. We need to get votes in the bank and we need to do it early. We need to get those votes coming in. And again, it's not my preference, but if that's the rules, we need to take advantage of the rules for our side. Um, and again, legally do whatever we can to bank those votes and make sure that we're getting those votes in. Because the other side of it is it's a sales funnel, Steve. When you have ballots go out, you want to get them in as quick as you can, because that allows you to suppress people and move them off your voting target list. And you can spend, you can send two, three, four, five mailers instead of just one if you have a smaller audience to target. So strategically, the Democrats are really crushing us by by focusing on the early vote. Again, I don't like it, but while it's in law, we got to take advantage of it and execute. Christian, how do people uh, follow you? Because obviously the juggling act you, you're going to have in the coming year between two guys, I know you think very highly of President Trump. You've been there for us. A long time. Also, Governor DeSantis is doing a great job down there. You've got probably, <laughs> I don't envy you, let's say that, of, of the juggling act. How can people, how can people follow you? Look, just go to uh, Florida.gop, follow our party, get involved, join your county party, reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. If you just go to Chris M. Ziegler, which is Z-I-E-G-L-E-R, uh, please reach out. But please get involved. We need every patriot to step up. Uh, our country's under attack. Our our local communities are under attack. And frankly, our children are now under attack by the left. And all of us have to step up. We have to rise up. If you can't fight for the kids, you can't fight for anything, really. And we got to step up. And that should motivate you like crazy. But Steve, I appreciate your viewers. And I appreciate everything you do. You do a great job of this show, getting the message out. And it's a vital piece of this process. Well, we have the easiest job, and you know they're power couples. But you're, you, 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 and the misses are the Fight Club couple because two incredibly tough uh, races. And congratulations, and and obviously you guys will fight on. So thanks you for joining us. Appreciate it, Steve. Have a great rest of your day. Great, uh, Chris Ziegler, uh, one of the real fighters, the chairman of the GOP. I think when people say, "Hey, it's all listen," you've you've had two massive wins. Over the last couple of days, you had you had uh, Ziegler in Florida, grassroots, and you had uh, Christine Caramo, uh, also Politico. Well, I'll hopefully get in to have time to do this tomorrow. I mean, they had an incredible article about Western Michigan uh, uh, Impact Ottawa, uh, which is a group out there that basically replaced all the rhinos and the, the county commission, the school board commission. And, of course, Politico is a melting because they say, hey, this is the rise of Christian nationalism. And if you look at what these people stand for, it's essentially just common sense. And, uh, and American values. Okay, uh, really honored with everything going on today and today's historic day about what happened in Moscow and then what happened in Kiev and what happened in Poland. Uh, as we continue to say, we are in the early years now. It's pretty official of the Third World War. Uh, I'm very honored to have uh, Patrick Wood and Joe Allen going to join me. Patrick, uh, I, I, I will tell you, I read it in one sitting, the new book, Evil Twins of Technocracy and transhumanism, it's its absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I met with you, I think it was during Turning Point back yeah. in, I don't know if it was the summer or spring of last year, and you said you were you were finishing this and putting it together to get it to the publisher. But uh, it's absolutely incredible, particularly the fact of where everything's gone, and then with chat uh, GPT being released at Davos just yeah. basically a month ago, uh, and everything that's changed. Well, walk us through... First off, I want you to go through your, your theory of the case. Why, are the, why is technocracy and transhumanism, which you would, a lot of people out there think, that's going to lead us to the, to the sunlit me, uh, meadows, right? 
that this is this is going to lead us to nirvana and the greatest uh, abundancy and happiness that mankind's ever created. Yet you've got a and your cover designer, whoever did it, is it's quite dramatic, right? It's a very dramatic cover, uh, but you call them the evil twins of technocracy and transhumanism. Walk us through your theory of the case. They really are. The idea uh, in, in that brought me to this point was that these two make very strange bedfellows, I have to say. 20, 30 years ago, they were kind of separate things. Technocracy has been moving forward since the 1930s, but transhumanism was really nothing. It was just kind of an esoteric uh, philosophy, a worldview, and they had no hope of uh, executing their plans. But when technology advanced to the point, I think probably around the year 2000, all of a sudden they grabbed hold of the technological revolution and they said that can be our deliverance to uh, to immortality, to omniscience and, you know, doing all these things to escape death. This sounds kind of crazy, but the World Economic Forum has adopted both technocracy as well as transhumanism in their official Great Reset uh, mantra. The Great Reset, first off, is to transform society, which is transforming it from free market economics into the system of technocracy or sustainable development, where everything is controlled by them. The transhuman movement chooses to focus on the people, to transform the people who are going to live in that technocratic society. In a sense, this makes twist, well, this makes twisted sense, uh, sort of. If you're going to make a brand new world system that we've never seen before in history, that's what the Great Reset was about first, then why would you want to put old humans into it? You see, they, 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 in their mind, the old humanity wrecked the world. They're creating a new world, so in their minds now, they need to have a new uh, humanity to move in and live in that new world. So we, we have technocracy and transhumanism now as fast allies. They're using the same technological base to achieve their respective goals. But uh, both of them are based on a, a, what I consider an evil religious proposition called scientism, which essentially removes God from the equation and worships science, the worship of science. We see it almost everywhere you look today, that people have discarded all other truth, and if science doesn't say it, they don't believe it. What um, walk me through? I want to go back to two thousand. You said here you started to see the merger of it because either the leadership or the wealthy understood that this may be it, it, that the technocracy and transhumanism combined, particularly transhumanism, led to eternal life and that they might have eternal life. So that yes. Homo sapien one point gets to be a burden, not, not something that actually generates value or wealth or, or helps you, but it actually something that you have to, in going beyond, you definitely want to leave it behind. Walk me through that. Well, exactly. Um, you know, the, the drive to escape death goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden uh, with the temptation in Genesis 3 of, uh, you know, when the devil tempted Adam and Eve. He said, surely you will not die. And he promised hidden knowledge as well. It went along with that, but surely you won't die. This has been a dream of mankind that decided to reject God anyway. This has been a dream of men and women to escape death ultimately. And this is what this is all about. It's been around for ages. It's just they haven't had the means to do it. It's just been a mental head trip. But they finally got traction when science advanced to the point where they saw, for instance, genetic engineering became a really big thing with CRISPR technology. When they saw the possibility to be able to hack the human genome and to literally to hack humans as this, you know, the software of life to change humans, change humanity, they went wild with that. And they just jumped on it like, you know, like fleas on a dog, so to speak. And they've been after it ever since. And we see it all around the world. It's not just in America. It's not an American phenomena. It's everywhere on the planet right now. There are scientists and engineers, especially scientists, chasing after this dream that somehow they're going to escape death in the end. If they can just get that next uh, little you know, bit of uh, technological discovery down, they will finally make it. I don't believe they will. I think flat out they're going to fail in the end. The biggest problem we have now is how much of humanity are they going to screw up on the, you know, on the way to finding out they're going to fail. 
when you um the book is the evil twins uh technocracy and transhumanism the one thing you make the case for and i, I want to if you can take a second walk the audience through you're saying that these two things and particularly the convergence of these and obviously transhumanism is also a convergence of five or six technologies technocracy is actually a way to to look at the application of that you talk about it's going to lead to the most radical transformation in the basic structures and processes of economics and governance, uh, the most radical that's happened really since we've had human civilization. And th- this is going to happen quite rapidly. And you say it- it's already started, but this is not something that's going to take decades. This will be done within this decade. Walk it us will. through that. What do you and mean by that? You can, you can go back to the 1930s to see the original drive of technocracy was to remove the political layer from society altogether. They felt that they had the science down so good and that there's no need to discuss anything. What do you need a body politic for? Uh, we see this even today, this, this antipathy towards political systems. Uh, the technocrat core of the world, like at the World Economic Forum, they would prefer to run things straight from the top down, just like Amazon runs its company, for instance. They would like to run the world by their scientific algorithms and just basically get out, get the political system out of the way. Um, if you go back and, and think about the book Brave New World that was written by Aldous Huxley in 1932, looking straight into technocracy, by the way, but that's when it was at Columbia University in 1932, um, you see there was no political system in Brave New World. It was, it was a scientific dictatorship where some guy at the top, the Alpha Plus, made all the decisions for what would happen in society. And there was, uh, there was no, uh, uh, no death except the death that was prescribed when you reached a certain age you were done away with. But all the babies were generated in, in test tubes and they were genetically engineered and they were conditioned and so on to s- fulfill their workplaces in life. This is kind of the, you know, what we're seeing working out today in the world where, uh, where technology is designed to run everything without any political discussion whatsoever. When our politicians, if, if they ever do wake up to this, when they see the enemy, the true enemy right now that's trying to dislodge them and, and debase them are these technocrats, they may take action and save us. You know, This is what the political system is for, to save us from crazy movements like this, from taking over the world and kicking our political institutions out in the, uh, in the dustbin of history. Is this one example of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, was this when Fauci, and we know about the Wuhan lab, but he got so upset about anybody even looking at the connections he had to the Wuhan lab and didn't want any investigations. I, I, I was telling people on the show at the time, it was like that was a temple. That was a sacred space that you could not, that the barbarian, either the Rand Paul politicians or, or the news media or anybody that was not, uh, was not, a, uh, was not, not in the priesthood, that, that temple was for the priesthood, regardless of whether they were part of the Chinese Communist Party, the PLA. They were scientists. He was scientists. And the unwashed uh, could not do it. Is that the, is that what you're talking about? Is that you yes. have this global system of basically <laughs> yeah. Davos man, these technocrats that think they can run That's both right. the economy and society like that? That's exactly right. And we can see how technocrats operate across societies. For instance, you have people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and you know other people of that nature. I consider them all to be technocrats. You see, they operate very easily with people in China, and you you find I use the old uh, the old adage: birds of a feather flock together. Technocrats recognize each other across societies, and they they feel like what what what's mine is mine, what yours is mine, and they trade stuff around all the time. They have no, you know, like China's never had any uh, uh, reservations about stealing our technology. Most of those people that stole our technology just believe they had a right to it. It's not that they thought they were doing anything wrong. As technocrats, if some scientific discovery exists out there, they think they're entitled to have it. And you, you see these people operating across, uh, across the boundaries, the national boundaries, and you shake your head at it, wondering why? How can they do that? They live in America, but they're they're lifting up China. Well, technocrats don't care what part of the world you're in. They are working together for an entirely different, otherworldly system to be put in place than what we have today. The order of things that we have today, and unfortunately, we've got so many major shocks that could hit us 
in the say the next two to three years, things you know like the war expanding war in Ukraine, we have so many threats of shock values gonna in, in front of us here. Any major shock could to the world could set up a situation where these technocrats simply walk in and take over. If they ever do, the rest of the world will not see a con anything like we have today, like a constitutional republic or even democracy for that matter. It'll be scientific dictatorship from the top down where everything is run right now like it is in China. You have no wiggle room in China anymore. They set, the, they set up the system at the top and then they push it down to the provinces. They push it down to the city states. They implement it the way they see fit down there, but they give them all the tools to do it and it runs autonomously. It doesn't even require human input anymore. This is not the way the world, that we in the world want to go with this for sure, but it's a clear and present danger that we face. By the way, this is why the whole thing about we would change them with capitalism, they would become liberal Democrats, was incorrect. We, our elites, started to take on their model because they like their model of, of technocracy. Also, one of the things you said is very prescient. The $600 billion a year that is stolen from us in technology, you notice it's not really that big a deal. I mean, the companies themselves and the technocrats there don't really raise holy hell. Yes, there's some thing, but if you think about the amount of money, I think it's $3 trillion in intellectual property capital, there hasn't been a big outpouring from the technocrats and the technologists that are stolen from. Patrick, can you hang on for one second? We're going to take a short break. We've got Joe Allen, our editor on all things transhumanism. He's going to join us. We have Patrick Wood, the author of the book, The Evil Twins, Technology and Transhumanism, next in the War Room. Despite the U.S. blowing through $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand, when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's time to pull yours out. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000, and it's only going to get worse. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king because it's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bannon, that's B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of our precious metals specialists. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bannon to 989898. That's Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bannon to 989898 today to get your free info kit. Take action. Use your agency. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Because EnviroCleanse, advanced mineral technology, goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including covid EnviroCleanse is the new science in air purification, and now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy-inflaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com code STEVE. ekpure.com code STEVE.
Most faith communities are only at the beginning of discussing AI and robots, with many religions contemplating it or developing tools and techniques based on it. It could change the way we worship. Santo, is there a heaven? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. I have a hard time concentrating. You are a true believer. Blessings of the state. Please forgive me. Blessings of the masses. Thou art a subject of the divine, created in the image of man, by the masses, for the masses. Let us be thankful we have an occupation to fill. Work hard. Increase production. Prevent accidents. And be happy. Okay, be happy. We're back in the war room. Let's bring our Joe Allen in. Joe, what did we just see? And uh, are you a believer in the in the in the thesis put forward by the great? By the way, Pat Patrick Wood is going to be known in this era, uh, kind of like I think Lewis. I don't know if you like this. Lewis Mumford was in the twenties and thirties, a, a great thinker that was uh, decades and decades uh, ahead of his time, um, who, who was a, a a pure technocrat. But Patrick Wood has nailed this and nailed it for many years. One of the great thinkers, seminal thinkers in our time. What are your thoughts, Joe? You know, Steve, uh, I got. It is a fantastic book. I've recommended it to everybody who's interested in the topic. Uh, it really serves two functions that uh, I really, really needed right now. Um, you know, as it starts, it, it is an excellent introduction to the basic concepts. And so you know, people who are really trying to knit this together, wrap their heads around it, it gives you that. But uh, as you go on and as, as he begins to weave together all the elements, I think that he really does make a solid case that all of these different institutions, from corporate institutions uh, to the NGOs like the World Economic Forum uh, to our own government and governments such as that run by the CCP in China, he shows how... The, the philosophies of technocracy and transhumanism have not just started to creep in, but have established themselves in these different power structures. And, you know, I've, I've read Patrick now for two years. We've known each other for uh, about that long. And his work has had a tremendous impact on me because he recognized early on uh, that the, the philosophy of, of technocracy, even as the original technocracy movement went away, uh, the philosophy of technocracy has not gone anywhere. It's more than just a buzzword. It is a deeply held worldview and a philosophy of government. And he, his, his early work had a tremendous impact. This one, especially because of its incorporation of transhumanism, this one had a tremendous impact. Um, now, if I could just say real quick, one of the concepts that he pointed out to me that has really stuck is that technocracy is not some leftist movement. It's not a, a right wing movement. It tends towards globalism, but it's not even necessarily a globalist right. movement. And I think that that was the, the insight that has stuck with me the most, because you see even like today or yesterday, it was announced that Gab is producing a new AI bot. They've just released the image generator. They'll have a new Christian chat bot that they'll, they'll release in the near future. You don't get much more right wing than Gab. And yet they're adopting the same techniques that were described by Lewis Mumford. Yeah. And they're adopting the same techniques yeah. that Patrick Wood is pointing out in his new book. Yeah, Patrick, I hope you didn't, as Teal Hardy Chardin or, or Lewis Mumford, I hope you didn't take offense at that, but they, they're readers and, and Buckminster Fuller, they're guys that I've, dealt, I've studied deeply. And you, I, This is an important point that Joe makes. When people come to me and say, Steve, it's all this socialism and you got the communists. And I said, but it's not really that because it's deeper than that. There's, if you look at the top levels, those guys aren't fighting over those concepts that are kind of 19th century concepts. The, the Great War of the 20th century, I think, kind of ended that in the 90s. I want you to go through that. And I also, in reading the book, and you do mention Bilderberg and others, but I keep telling people when they look at for the Illuminati or the Bilderbergs or, or the tra tri transnational, the, uh, was the Trilateral Commission, it all kind of started there. 
But now because of uh, things like the business schools and the IT departments and the engineering schools, this is systemic. There's no group of elders that sits in a room and makes these decisions, even Klaus Schwab. What he calls together, he, he calls, he has a gathering of the tribes. There's no, so we have a, we have a, is a fully thought through in developing organism that continues to evolve over time. And that is what we're fighting. Patrick Wood. It is. The greatest champion of technocracy today is the United Nations. The, their doctrine of sustainable development, which is resource-based management of everything in sight, including humans, I might add, um, they have championed this, this doctrine of resource management, resource-based management, to the whole world. It, before, it was just basically located maybe here in America as a thought, uh, but the Trilateral Commission was so successful at turning this over to the United Nations as initially as Agenda 21. That's where sustainable development started, was in 1992 as a formal doctrine. The United Nations has impressed this on the whole planet. So they didn't need any political system to, to, to tout this. They didn't need a political revolution. Rather, they went into the back door through the United Nations to get all the nations of the world to accept this new nirvana that if you just follow the sustainable development goals, why we're going to eliminate poverty, we're going to have jobs for all, there's going to be education, lifelong, et cetera. But you get in the fine print, all of a sudden you see But hang on. Yeah, but I want to make sure people understand this. When most people think of the U.N., you think of the you think of New York and the General Assembly and these dramatic speeches and the Security Council and the talks of war and the rumors of war. That's not what we're talking about. No. The engine room of the U.N. is Geneva. Right. And Geneva has a whole history. Right. <laughs> with, yes, with, do. But talk to us about Geneva. That's the that's world. That's the World Health Organization. That's yes. UNESCO. The engine room, the things that move the U.N. to really go down to their agenda is yeah. not the is not the, 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 quite frankly, the irrelevant debate that takes place in New York for the cameras. That, that's the shiny toy they put out there. The real work, and this is where, quite frankly, Ambassador Bremberg, Andrew Bremberg, a good friend of mine that we got in as the there's two ambassadors in the United States. One is Nikki Haley in New York. The other is somebody that's put Bremberg with Trump's uh, ambassador. When he got there, Patrick, he said, the place is infested with CCP. They, they literally are in every organization, and every organization has a little program that all ties to Agenda 21. Patrick right. Wood. Every single one. What happens in New York City is kind of a political theater where people think there's some political process that takes place within the United Nations. That's far from the truth. It is, it's not political whatsoever. What they are basically is a, a system where they impose their system, their doctrine of resource-based management. That's what you know. global warming and all that stuff is about, driving people into this new economic system. Christiana Figueres, who was the leader of the, um, uh, or the organizer of the Paris Agreement, climate agreement, she said openly after that agreement in Europe at a press conference, she said openly that our intention is to, is to replace capitalism and free market economics with this new economic system, which is what they call sustainable development, sometimes natural capitalism, sometimes we call it over here, smart growth or Green New Deal. It's nothing more than warmed over technocracy from the 1930s, truly. But this is what they've been spreading to all the nations of the world very methodically for the last 30, 30 to 35 years. And they've done a great job. The political, na the political nature of every country, however, different from ours, they have all accepted this from the United Nations. Who knows why? How, who knows how they sold it to them? But they did. And now it's everywhere in the world. And we're dealing with it. We're corporately now in the world, we're dealing with the United Nations, who seems to be all powerful to these people, like the World Health Organization. Who are they to control the health of the entire planet? <laughs> it's like, how did they get in that position? Well, it took them, to, it took them a few years, but they, they've been working at it. This is the nature of the United Nations. It's like the worst case of crabgrass your lawn ever had. Joe Allen, uh, when we talk about developments, and this is what one great example of that, that when you read the book and you see, get the framework of the book and you see how societal norms and processes can be exploded. Just look, we are, I keep telling people, we are one month into roughly the introduction of AI into the really uh, the commercial or at least the, 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 the popular space. 
and it's already got people melted down. Today, the Daily Mail had a huge, one of their lead stories, biggest website in the world. Lead story was, I think it was a dean at Vanderbilt had said, had used, had used chat GPT to do a memo to the students. I think about the Michigan state's uh, uh, Michigan state shooting and uh, nobody really kind of caught it. And when they did, they wanted to fire, they put it on suspension, but this is just one example that the chat GPT has everybody in uh, in an uproar. And we're 30 days into just a tiny rollout uh, at Davos, uh, how is this going to impact? We talk about technocracy and transhumanism. As you study these and the big developments that are about to come, how quickly do you think just us as a society based on principles and traditions of the Judeo-Christian West and still somewhat a constitutional republic uh, slash, uh, you know, with the democratic aspects to it, how quickly do you think before we become overwhelmed, Joe Allen? Well, you know, Steve, uh, the technocracy movement, transhumanism as ideas and even the technologies associated with them, it took a while for them to really be normalized and make the, the deep impacts that they have today. Uh, but specific technologies such as the television had their critics early on. Early on, you had people like Neil Postman who argued that the television would be a, a horrific propaganda tool. And it would dumb down those who watched it. Another gerrymander early on argued this, that television would dumb people down and make them less capable of critical thinking. The same arguments were made about the Internet early on. The same arguments were made about the smartphone early on. And the same arguments were made about social media. But what you see with all of those is is an exponential increase in their development and also an exponential increase in their adoption. And I would also argue an exponential increase in their impacts. And while I don't necessarily buy into everything Ray Kurzweil says by any stretch, I do think that he recognized that exponential increase, the way he tracked technologies in general alongside Moore's law. And so with the introduction right now of neural networks capable of natural language processing, these large language models, these chat bots, Uh, I think that as they are integrated into larger systems like Microsoft's Bing, as they're integrated into larger systems like Google and like Baidu, and even smaller subcultures like the Gab community, you're going to see more and more human cognition offloaded to artificial intelligence. And most importantly, you're going to see the way people think, the ideas in their heads influenced and impact impacted by artificial intelligence, by that cognition, its mode of thinking, its way of sifting through data and feeding it to the user. I think that that's already happening in a big way. You saw it with the uh, 100 million users for ChatGPT within a couple of months. Uh, I think that once again, as it's integrated in the big companies, it will explode across the world. I think it will be at least as big as the internet as a whole and as smartphones have been as far as impacting human society and our culture. Patrick, then how do in a constitutional Republic uh, made up of, of, of people, a, a vast majority still, I shouldn't say vast majority, at least a majority are traditionalist. How then are we to fight this? What is your recommendation? The convergence of these two massively powerful forces that have really kind of built up through the late 20th century and now converged. What it, what is one to do? What, it, what not the ray of hope because we're not a we don't sell happy talk here, right. but for the hard nosed Homo sapiens that we're saying, hey, if we're going to go down here, we're going to go. They're, they're, we're going to put up. A, we got to represent the human race over I don't know a hundred thousand years or a million years. We got to represent it, and we're not going to go down without a fight. What is that fight? Yes. Well, this is my personal persuasion at this point, but I believe. The only thing we can do is to put a firewall around where we live against this stuff. This is where the transformation needs to start is within your local community, where you live, with your own city, your city council, your your various boards that you have in your city. This ideology needs to be driven out. All the councils of government's uh, operations across the country need to be driven out. That's not constitutional whatsoever. But these policies are coming down into local communities. They, they kind of skipped the federal government in one way. They went right to local communities. This is where we need to start driving it out. We can 
if people will get up and get involved in the in the in their civic affairs, we can drive this stuff out. But I will say in the end of it, there's going to be a tectonic battle between the political systems of the world, including ours and all of our local as well as state, et cetera. There's going to be a tectonic battle between our political structure and this technocrat slash transhuman cartel. It'll come to blows eventually, I'm afraid. But this is where we need to start is in our local community. That's one reason, by the way, that I started Citizens for Free Speech several years ago as a nonprofit organization to train people on how to be engaged in civil uh, civic affairs, how to talk, how to, you know, how to present yourself, how to persuade, how to get things done, how to network, how to discover information in your local communities and stuff. We've been very successful. Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, 500,000 people in our country out actually doing it. Would that we did. But I think that's the answer. Tell me how, walk us through, uh, how, how did this get, because most people think, hey, it's, you know, it's all this concentration of wealth and power. It's a concentration of technology and all the scientism and transhumanism. You would think that would naturally go to the federal level, and that's how they control you. How did they skip that level? Why did they skip it? And what's your evidence of that? Well, primarily in America, and actually this happened around the world too, but in America there was an organization, a UN NGO, but that was known as ICLEI. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but I-C-L-E-I. ICLEI went straight to cities with sustainable development, sent in their pinstripe suit guys, you know, uh, two by two, and they talked the cities into joining the ICLEI organization, which was an international NGO, and then they force-fed, if you will, they put, gave them a conveyor belt of all these uh, Agenda 21 doctrines and stuff that they should adopt in their local communities. At one time, there was as many, I think, a 625 or 630 major cities and some minor ones, too, in America and counties that were a member of ICLEI. This completely was off the radar of any national organization at all. That Our federal government had no clue what they were doing. But ICLEI was tremendously successful. And there's been a lot of resistance against them, uh, you know, in the last four or five years. But that was one way they came in. They just, uh, you know, the National League of Cities is another organization that has completely been handed over or given over to sustainable development with the United Nations. They also impress uh, their their doctrines and their policies down on cities in America. But the National League of Cities is an NGO. It's a nonprofit, non-governmental organization, has no connection to the government whatsoever, is not under control or, uh, you know, even um, oversight of any government body. They just do what they do. This has been happening now for several years, and these people have just run amok when there's been no political oversight. Patrick, how do people get the book and how do they really get to you, to your writings and everything that you're working on? Because it couldn't be more powerful, more timely. Or quite frankly, this will this will scare you down to the marrow of your bones. Right. And particularly when you see the hill that we have to climb here, because, yes, this is going to be a tough fight. This is signal, not noise. It's tough as stopping the war, stopping the debt. All those are, are all those are incredibly hard. But as I say, it's hard, but doable. Yes, this is hard, but I got to figure out how it's doable because it's this is the biggest force. And this is what this age will be known for. The end of Homo sapien 1.0. This is what they're clearly there. It's so far out of the box. You can't stop that part of it. So we're going to have to fight in a different direction. How do people how do people get to you? Well, everything is available on Amazon. Of course, there's a Kindle. uh, There's the, the paperback. Uh, there's also on my other books, uh, my book, um, uh, Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order, there's also an audio book there available as well as Kindle in the book itself. And people can also go to technocracy.news and purchase any of my books there. Of course, I don't have Kindle. I can't sell Kindle. But uh, you can get the books directly from technocracy.news. I love to send out autograph books, uh, by the way, to people. If you buy it from me directly, I can. Uh, but either way, and you can even special order it. If you, I've seen bookstores, they'll say, yeah, I'll get it for you. And it may take a couple, three weeks, but they'll get it. Give it to you in a brown paper bag if necessary, if that's your choice. Just get it. <laughs> By the way, for the future, that's your, that's your inscription when you sign them. Uh, I like to say that's a classic War Room uh, book cover right there. The, the, the two skulls. It's a two skull. You get a two skulls instead of two thumbs up. Patrick Wood, uh, real quickly, your social media. How do people follow you? 
Well, actually, I'm on Getter. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Stop Techno at Stop Technocracy. Um, I'm also Stop Technocracy on um, what I want to say. Um, on Telegram. That's right. Forgot. <laughs> so those are the three major ones right now. Getter, of course, is probably going to be the most popular. But, um, you know, I post every article that I put up that's on uh, technocracy.news. I post there. Yeah, that's where I follow you. Uh, Patrick M. Wood, thank you. Great, great, uh, great going. Ja uh, Joe, we got a bolt, but give you, how do you people get to all your writings? Steven got a new article up, Mental Jigsaw, How AI Carves Out Space in Your Brain. It's up at jobot.xyz, up at warroom.org, under the Transhumanism tab. You can see it at the top of my social media, Getter and Twitter, at J-O-E-B-O-T-X-Y-Z. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much, Joe Patrick. Allen. Yeah, Joe's going to join me tomorrow. David Ignatius told us today that we're already giving uh, Ukraine AI uh, to do target acquisition. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock back here in the war room. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.